Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. This morning is the fourth sermon in a series that I began seven years ago in 2015. (laughs) When you're the B team, you know, you only get so many opportunities. And uh, yeah, the the title for this message and the title for this series has been Well-Known Unknowns. Well-known in the fact that we've looked at the lives and ministries of certain people in the Bible who are well-known because they are specifically named oftentimes in multiple places within the Scripture. The greatest book ever written, God's Word itself, they're named in that book. They're well-known. But they're often unknown because we often skip over those passages about people and the individuals and focus on some of the other theology and teaching. What we've done uh, back in 2015 was the first one. We looked at uh, a man named Tychicus. Five times he's mentioned in uh, the New Testament. We focused in on one particular reference in Ephesians 6. We also looked at Onesimus uh, from Colossians 4 and him being the uh, subject of the letter to Philemon. We looked uh, in Philippians 2 at Epaphroditus. That was in 2019, three years ago, the last time I actually had the opportunity to fill in. It's been a privilege to have... uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor David and some of our younger uh, pastors fill in the pulpit, but uh, today is my turn now. What we're going to do is add to that list a new person, and it's Apollos from Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at the ministry of that man as recorded in Scripture. Our passage is Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, but for context, let's start in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Verse 1, after these things, he, being Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy, remember that phrase, come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working by the trade. They were tent makers. And he, being Paul, was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts chapter 18 is at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. It's probably around A.D. 51, 52-ish. And as we see in Corinth, Paul meets up with Priscilla and Aquila, who are from Italy. Skim down to verse 5, where we see some others to join them. Verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So you've got Paul, you've got Apollos, you've got Paul, you've got Aquila, Priscilla, you've got Silas, you've got Timothy, you've got a dream team here in the city of Corinth. And as we see in verse 6, transition from verse 5 to verse 6, Paul had been preaching primarily to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, but then verse 6, but when they, the Jews, resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So what we see here in verse 6 is Paul's transition to focus on the Gentiles in his ministry. If you look at verse 8 and verse 11, you see that many are coming to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. Ultimately, Paul was there for about a year and a half in Corinth. And if you skim down to verse 12, you see the hostility that uh, arises. 
the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. It is getting physically violent for the ministry going on there in Corinth. If you skim down to verse 18, Paul uh, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea. So Paul then, after that hostility, leaves Corinth and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And they come to Ephesus there in verse 19. So what we see here is Paul leaves for Ephesus with Aquila and Priscilla, probably leaving Timothy and Silas back in Corinth. And Paul then, if you go down to verse 22, when he, Paul, had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. That is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. He returns back to Antioch, which was the sending church for his missionary journeys. If you go now to uh, verse 23, it's the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. And having spent some time there, Paul left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phygia, strengthening all the disciples. And now we come to our passage. Paul is starting up his third missionary journey, and the author of Acts gives us this brief focus on the life and ministry of Apollos. Join me as I read then, uh, uh, follow along as I read Acts 18, 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came, in, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had, been, who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Our outline for this morning is pretty straightforward. It's just got five points. Number one, we see in verses 25 in the first part of verse 26, the confusion that Apollos had about Jesus. In verse 26, the second part, we see the clarity that he gets from the help of Priscilla and Aquila. In the first part of verse 27, we see Apollos's courage in going back to Achaia, which is Corinth. And then in the end of verse 27, and we'll look at some other passages where Apollos is named in the New Testament, we see the community of believers. Finally, in verse 28, the fifth point of our message here, Apollos preaches Jesus is the Christ. Before we jump into the the outline, though, let me uh, look at just let's ha look at verses 24 and the first part of 25, just as background on Apollos that we get here from the author of Acts. What we see here in verse 24 is that uh, Apollos is Jewish, and he's Alexandrian by birth. Alexandria was in Egypt. It was founded and named after Alexander the Great. It was the second most significant city in the known uh, the Mediterranean world at that time, uh, only second only to Rome itself. 
It was a great center for learning and knowledge. You may have heard of the library at Alexandria where they tried to collect every written document that ever existed to that time in that, uh, in that library. It was a great center of learning and knowledge. And it was one of the largest Jewish communities outside of Israel. We also see in this passage a description of Apollos as being an eloquent man. Probably that word eloquent meaning that he was trained in rhetoric. He was trained to be a speaker, persuasively uh, speaking to people. It also says that he was mighty in the scriptures. He knows the Old Testament. Most likely the Old Testament that he was studying was the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which, by the way, was translated in the town of Alexandria, where he was born. It also says uh, there at the beginning of verse 25 that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So this just wasn't that he was self-taught or just a natural phenom in some way. He had learned from others. He was formally trained. And then one of the descriptions of him that I really appreciate at the end of verse, toward the middle of verse 25 is, and being fervent in spirit. That word gives the connotation of being intense. He's an intense personality. I like this guy. I can kind of identify with that. Um, he's fervent in spirit. But there's a problem. He's got some confusion. Look in verse 25, though, to start with. Verse 25, at the end, it says he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. And in verse 26, it says he was speaking boldly in the synagogue. That sounds like a pretty good preacher, doesn't it? Bold, charismatic, full of the Spirit, intense, a great preacher, and he was accurately teaching things concerning Jesus. Boy, most people might like to go to that church, a bold preacher talking about Jesus. But there's a problem. He's only acquainted with the baptism of John. He doesn't have a complete understanding of Jesus' ministry, of believing in Jesus for salvation alone. It wasn't uncommon at that time to be confused about John the Baptist. Uh, if you flip over one page maybe to Acts chapter 19, as we said, Paul goes on his third missionary journey, and as he's, he's doing that, you read in verse 19, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos went off to uh, Achaia, which is Corinth. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, where Apollos was, and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. See, there was confusion at the time about who John was in relationship to show. He pointed to Christ, that was understood, but Apollos doesn't have a full understanding of what it meant to believe in Jesus as your ultimate Savior, that you just weren't to repent and be baptized in the way of John, but to put your full trust and belief in Jesus. And as we see here, the Holy Spirit comes in response to that kind of saving faith in Jesus. 
If we look at the life of John the Baptist, if you go back to uh, John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, there's plenty of pointing by John, who is faithful in his ministry, to not make it about him. I think John would have been very frustrated to know that 20, 30 years later after his ministry, people are still not getting it about who Jesus is because his ministry was to point people to Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, if you look at John chapter 1, we see the example of Andrew being a disciple of John who then follows Jesus and takes his brother Peter along with. But in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, what you see there is John's disciples, even after Jesus' ministry has been going on, revealing that even John had some questions about what's going on. In Luke chapter 7, in verse 18, the, starting in verse 18, the, John's disciples go to Jesus and ask about Jesus' ministry like, are you really the Christ? Showing that John had some self-doubt about who Jesus really was that way. And Jesus, quoting the Old Testament in Scripture, the lame walk, the blind see, to point out that Jesus really was the Christ. The real application point I want to pull out here in looking at the fact that Apollos, even as great of a preacher he was, was confused is to recognize that there may be preachers, there may be churches that may be accurate about Jesus, but not complete. They may be bold, they may be energetic, they may be charismatic, but they're not teaching a complete Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the Great One, the Anointed One, the Messiah. The danger that happens when someone is preaching not a complete Jesus is it opens up opportunity for all kinds of heresy. We saw that in American history in the Second Great Awakening in the early 1800s. Those of you who are, enjoy history, read up on it some more. The Second Great Awakening was in the early 1800s a revivalist time in America. Camp meetings, tent meetings, people proclaiming great crusades. Jesus, come to Jesus, love Jesus, trust Jesus, believe in Jesus, love Jesus. But the problem was it wasn't a complete understanding or teaching of who Jesus was. And if you look back in history, that's about the time that many of the heretical religious teachings that we now, even in our community here, may face come out of shortly after that great awakening. Why? Because people were aroused about who Jesus is, but they didn't know the complete Jesus. How about you? Um, do you care about knowing the full, complete Jesus? Or are you interested in going to the church that is the fad, the newest fill-in-the-blank? Praise God that somebody came along in Apollos' life to give him clarity. And let's move to that second point now of clarity that we see in chapter 18, verse 26, the second part of this. And looking at the impact that Aquila and Priscilla had on the great preacher Apollos. In verse 26, that second part there. And he, this is Apollos, began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Do you note how they handled the great preacher, Apollos? They heard him. It was in person. 
They weren't trolling the internet being heresy hounds and hunters looking for those who were out on the internet preaching all kinds of goofy stuff and hounding after that and hunting them down and getting involved in useless arguments on the internet. That's not what they were about. They heard him. They were in relationship with him. Pastor Miller often says, uh, especially in our elder meetings as we're talking through things, that the focus of our church is on those whom God has called us to minister, those with whom we are in relationship with. When you think you're responsible for the general Christian community out there, you ultimately don't have much of an impact on the general Christian community because you're so scattered in your view. We as elders here see our primary responsibility to address things when it affects our body of believers here. Why? Because we're in relationship with each other and we're called to shepherd those with whom we have here. Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They were in relationship with him. And when they heard that he wasn't preaching completely about Jesus, what's this next thing they did? They took him aside, right? That shows respect. They didn't interrupt his teaching. They didn't start throwing tomatoes at him and saying, you know, you're a false heretic. You're not preaching the full truth. They didn't challenge him to a debate. They took him aside to talk with him. Again, beautiful picture of what it looks like in relationship to teach one another. Reminds me of a, a seminar that I did uh, as profession. I, a real estate lawyer, uh, early in my career, I was doing a seminar on, uh, on a real estate topic. And further info about me back in the day, uh, I worked for my dad's landscaping company growing up here in the Valley. And uh, I worked for a couple of different lawyers. And one lawyer in particular that I worked with as a kid was a lawyer who showed up to one of my seminars. He sat in the back. He was a real well-known lawyer in the community, new real estate law, all of that. And I'm doing my seminar, and halfway through it, he raises his hand. Scotty? <sighs> that wasn't the right way to bring things up, okay? Now, maybe I was confused. Maybe I didn't have a complete understanding of 50 years of uh, real estate experience that he had, my five years at that time or whatever it was. Would have been nice to have come uh, alongside of me afterwards, not right in the middle of the seminar, right? Well, that's the point here, is how do you approach people? Maybe you hear something in a Bible study. Maybe you hear something in a, a small group or something where somebody may not have a complete understanding of Jesus. Maybe it's incomplete. Maybe even they're off a little bit. What do you do? Do you confront them so that you can look like the know-it-all? Do you want everyone around you to know how smart you are? Or do you follow the example of Priscilla and Aquila here, how they ministered to Apollos and took him aside? To teach him. The third thing we see from how Priscilla and Aquila brought clarity to Apollos is that they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Well, how could they explain it more accurately if they didn't know it more accurately? You see, they had spent probably that year and a half with Paul in Corinth. They heard Paul's preaching and teaching. They grew in an understanding of who Christ was, Jesus as the Christ. They learned and were able to pass it on. Are you doing that? Are you learning so that you can explain to others? You know, Priscilla and Aquila just didn't go to the local bookstore and pick up a good book and hand it to Apollos and go, here, read this. They engaged with him personally. They explained to him 
the way of God more accurately. And what an impact on the clarity. Compare with what Apollos was teaching in verse 26, accurately the things concerning Jesus, and now see in verse 28, we'll get there a little bit later, there's a little foreshadowing, look at verse 28, now what was he preaching? Jesus is the Christ. Big difference. First, he was talking about facts about Jesus in terms of things about Jesus, maybe that John had pointed to him. But now, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Almighty, the creator of all things. What a difference that is with the uh, uh, impact of Priscilla and Aquila bringing uh, Apollos clarity. Let me ask you, who's impacted you in knowing Jesus? Have you thanked them? Do you think of them? Do you praise God for the impact they had so that you could know Jesus and you can teach and share with others as well? And who in your life is able to come alongside of you and maybe correct and, 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 and direct you in a different way if there's something a little bit off? Or are we so isolated as Christians that we're not in relationship with each other that we wouldn't have that opportunity? That's one of the reasons fellowship groups are so important. Men's, women's, Bible studies are so important. That we're in contact with each other, talking through the things of Christ, and we have relationship so that we're not solo Christians. You have in your laps right now the Word of God, a gold mine of knowing who Jesus is. Are you mining its treasures? Are you digging in? Are you seeking clarity from those who may have more knowledge around you? At this church, there are so many Bible studies, so many opportunities to learn and grow. Please, get in one of those studies. Get in one of those trainings. Get in one of those home groups so we can all grow in our understanding of Jesus, not just facts about him, but that Jesus is the Christ for us to worship. Moving to uh, verse 27, the very beginning, we see Apollos' courage. We already saw a little bit of his courage in verse 26, where he was boldly preaching in the synagogue. So this seems to be maybe a natural tendency of Apollos to be courageous in going into situations, even if he didn't have a complete understanding at that time. a joke that I say to people in, in my office in, in cases and such. They're 100% confident, but 5% right. You know, you can be bold in what you're teaching, but maybe what you're teaching isn't complete. He was courageous there, we see already in verse 26, but now look at verse 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, Achaia is the region, Corinth is the city. Didn't you hear what I just described about Paul's ministry in chapter 18 of what was going on in Corinth? Apollos wants to run toward the battle for souls. He wants to run toward the opposition to Jesus being the Christ. Going back to chapter 18, verse 5, they resisted and blasphemed God. The Jews there in Corinth were so angry. They brought Paul to the judgment seat. They were so angry. In verse 17, they beat the synagogue leader because they were so angry that he would let the Apostle Paul come in and teach this uh, Jesus in the synagogue. Even in that hostility, Apollo says, that's where I want to go. That's courageous. 
What is God calling you to do that takes courage? What is God calling you to do in ministry that isn't just sitting back and retreating into the comfort of positive, happy relationships with other believers? Where you are going out battling for the souls of those who would profess Jesus as the Christ. Maybe it's not as death-defying as uh, Apollos may have faced in going back to Corinth. Maybe it's reputation that it will risk, that you will risk. Are you courageous enough to tell people that Jesus is the Christ and not just a swear word? I love doing that with people if I hear them. They'll, they'll swear and use the, the name of Jesus Christ in vain, and I'll just say, yeah, I know him. It's a great way to get a conversation started about who Jesus is when they go, who? Well, you just, you brought up Jesus. I didn't bring up Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. All right. Do you have the courage, like Apollos did, in going and proclaiming Jesus as the Christ? The fourth point, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on this, is what we see about the Christian community, the church, the gathering of believers, and we see that in verse 27, the second part. And when Apollos wanted to go across to Achaia, Corinth, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. We see the community of believers coming together to be a teamwork with missions. First, the brethren encouraged Apollos. He already had the boldness and courage to want to go. And then the verse that is stated there is that they encouraged him. More courage to go, knowing that there's a group of people behind him. This encouragement is a great verse uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there real quick. I know it's a verse that all of you, many of you know, but I want to read it out loud. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. This is that same Greek word about encouragement. It captures beautifully what Apollos experienced here with the encouragement of the brethren. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Again, it's the same Greek word for encouragement in both passages. Verse 24, we'll start. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. That's what we need to be doing as a body of believers. We need to, we need to encourage each other with our ministries. When we're a, we were a smaller church, it was a lot easier to be able to encourage with each other's ministries because everybody was involved in everything. But as we grow and we start having this ministry, that ministry, we can become so siloed in our separate ministries that we don't take the opportunity to encourage each other in ministry. We need to see that as teamwork within the church for our ministries. But it's not just in words. Look again at the passage in verse 27. It says the brethren wrote to the Corinthian believers. So these believers are in Ephesus. Apollos wants to go to Corinth. And the Ephesian believers there just didn't say, pat on the back, you go get them, tiger. What did they do? They took action. They encouraged him to go and they physically wrote to the believers in Corinth. 
to give encouragement to them, to receive Apollos as a, as a teacher, to have the credentials, the recognition that Apollos is a believer. There's an act of involvement. There's actual physical communication going on here. It's easy to say to somebody, yeah, you go do your ministry and we'll pray for you. It's another thing to get involved and say, I know somebody at that ministry. I know some resources that can be used for this, that, whatever it is. That's the kind of engaging of teamwork that it looks like in ministry. Outside of Acts chapter 18, we see Apollos in another verse. Turn to Titus 3.13. This is a third way that we see Apollos engaging with the Christian community and being encouraged in ministry. Like I mentioned earlier in uh, the time of prayer over the offering, Titus chapter 3 verse 13. And with some of these verses that are at the end of Paul's letters that sometimes we just skim over. This is another reference to Tychicus here. Verse uh, 12 will start. Paul's writing to Titus, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Oh, look, it's biblical to be a winter visitor. There you go. That's a good idea for some of you who are winter visitors. Then verse 13 diligently help Zenos the lawyer and who? Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. So what we see here is this event uh, from timing purposes is probably about 10 years after the events of Acts chapter 18. 10 years later, Apollos is on the move somewhere and it appears that he's the one along with Zenos who delivers the letter to Titus. And what does Paul say to Titus and this particular church? Uh, Titus is preaching. Uh, Paul had left Titus to preach on the island of Crete. This is some small new churches that are in, on that island of Crete. Uh, one of the main cities on Crete is someplace called Phoenix. And this is a small church maybe just outside of Phoenix. Different Phoenix. And this is Paul's admonishment to the small church in Crete and the pastor Titus to do what? Send Apollos and Zenos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Again, the resources, the engagement, the teamwork when it comes to missions. There's another example outside of Acts chapter 18. Turn to 1 Corinthians 16. This is another example of Apollos engaging with the Christian community in such a beautiful way. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Apollos is mentioned multiple times in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written probably about three years after uh, the events of Acts chapter 18, most likely written by Paul uh, while he was in Ephesus on that third missionary journey that we looked at in chapter 19. So Paul is in Ephesus writing 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, starting in verse 8, Paul is writing about a group of folks that are involved there. Um, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Verse 12. 
but concerning Apollos, our brother. I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it is not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. So what we see here in this passage is, as Paul is kind of directing traffic of who's going where in ministry, and they're working as a team in bringing the gospel to the area, what we see here is Paul is encouraging Apollos to go back to Corinth. That's that communication. But note here, when we talk about the Christian community, we're not talking about a cult. Apollos had the courage to say to Paul, no, that's not my desire right now to go to Corinth. Paul encouraged him to go, and Apollo says no. Can you imagine the courage that that would have taken to stand up to the Apostle Paul, the great, mighty Apostle Paul? You know, how eloquent and what a great writer he is in the book of Romans, and an apostle? Yes, because we're a Christian community built around Christ, and Christ ultimately, through the Holy Spirit, leads us. This isn't a cult where man-centered leadership tells people what to do. Also note a relationship here between Apollos and the Corinthians. It's something that you may not pick up unless you had studied the whole book of uh, letter of 1 Corinthians. It's in verse 12. It's a little marker at the beginning of verse 12 in chapter 16. That little marker is those first words, but concerning. Two years ago in our men's ministry, uh, Thursday morning Bible study, we went through the book of 1 Corinthians, and those men of you who are in here, hopefully you remember, there were various markers throughout 1 Corinthians where Paul is responding to specific questions from the Corinthian church in a letter they had sent to Paul, and he's responding, and every time he gets to one of those questions, he starts with, but concerning. So you see that in chapter 7, verse 1. You see that in chapter 12, verse 1, chapter 16, verse 1, and now here we see it in chapter 16, verse 12 again, where it appears the Corinthian church has a question to Paul about Apollos. They're still in relationship with him. They didn't say, okay, well, Apollos was our preacher for a couple of years, and for whatever reason, he went on ministry someplace else, and we're done with that guy, Apollos. Seems they're still in relationship with each other. The community of believers working together. So here it seems that the Corinthian church was still interested. What's going on with Apollos? And that's why that triggers the answer that uh, he gives. The application point I want to pull from this concept of seeing Apollos and the interaction with the church community being a team with regard to missions is we partner with missionaries around the world. You heard last summer that we had the short team that went to Albania. We had another group that went uh, just outside of San Francisco. We, we have people going out. We need to encourage them more, our missionaries. We need more communication. We want to be more of an encouragement. We want to send more resources to them, not just money, but maybe there's other things that we can give. The group that went to Albania brought along knowledge and experience to teach in certain ways. We want to be able to do that. Are you available to do that? Are you interested in doing that? Are you willing to do that? If you are, see Pastor Clay, see Pastor David, those who are leading that ministry. We want to be a team with our mission reach around the world. Please join in on that. The second aspect of community that we see from uh, Apollos' ministry is teamwork in teaching. 
Again, this is outside of Acts chapter 18, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Another famous verse, it's another reference to Apollos, who's mentioned multiple times in 1 Corinthians. We see here the teamwork in teaching. Now, this is a verse that is very familiar to many people. Chapter 3, verse 6, but let me start with verse 5. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. We see an incredible teamwork in teaching within this Christian community. Paul planted, Apollos watered. Now think of it again. Apollos has probably only been preaching in the Corinthian church maybe a couple of years. Paul is the great apostle. Do you see the humility demonstrated by Paul here in talking about his team member in teaching, Apollos? Ultimately, the point of this passage is that God is in control and we need to be on the same team as we follow our leader, Jesus the Christ. The context for this passage about Paul watering and Apollos, or Paul planting the seed, Apollos watering, and the teamwork in ministry there, the context, unfortunately, is the disunity, which is a big theme in 1 Corinthians. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. In fact, let's just go through some of these. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? In other words, they're acting like normal men dividing themselves up. I'm of this, I'm of that. You skip down to uh, chapter 3, verse 22. Starting in uh, verse 1. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. The disunity that was existing here in this church it continues even in the references in chapter 4, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos. This figure of speech that he was using of planting and watering. He's saying, I'm used that figuratively for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one another, in, in behalf of one against the other. That's the danger in church leadership. We start competing with each other instead of working together as a team. For those of you who uh, have heard me preach before, you know I've got to have a football illustration, so here it is. This teamwork concept is absolutely something, as a football coach, is important to me. Historically, in my football teams, I've always got a great receiver, and this last couple of years is, is no different. Phenomenal, you know, great receiver. Guess who they always focus on on defense to, to cover? Double cover, triple cover, whatever. Guess what I have to do? The rest of my guys have to be on this team and know what they have to do. Why are we successful? Because we're a team. We're not just the one-hit wonder guy and just following him. We've got other players who are trained, equipped, ready to step in and do the play when everybody's focusing in on the one guy. We need that same kind of mindset of teamwork. Do you notice also this uh, list of uh, 
of people? Christ, Peter, Paul, and then we've got Apollos. You talk about a Mount Rushmore of the Christian community here with those four names, and Apollos is in there as well. Even as a younger uh, man in terms of his only being maybe three years of having a real complete understanding as we saw in chapter 18. The reason we can have teamwork in missions and the reason we can have teamwork in our teaching is because we have the same message. And that's where we move to our fifth point, which is the message is from Apollos, the message is for us, verse 28. Jesus is the Christ. That was the, appoint, that was the point of Apollos' preaching. It wasn't your best life now. It wasn't social justice. It wasn't whatever fill-in-the-blank fad of the day is within a church. It's preaching that Jesus is the Christ whom we are to worship and glorify. Apollos also preached Christ not from a vision he had, not from some mystical thing that happened or some false angel appearing like an angel of light. He preached Christ from the scriptures. That's what we need to do as well. And we would follow the example of Jesus himself. Turn to Luke 24. This is after Jesus' uh, resurrection Luke 24, another familiar passage. Some disciples of Jesus are walking along the way. Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. Starting in verse 25, chapter 24 of Luke. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then look at verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to him the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Based in scripture, solely in scripture, the Jesus of scripture. We follow the biblical Jesus Christ, not another Jesus Christ that others would create in their own imagination. That was the example of Jesus pointing to himself as the Christ from Scripture. Peter did the same thing from Acts chapter 3. Philip the Evangelist did the same thing in Acts chapter 8. Paul did it in Acts chapter 17. And what we have here is Apollos back in chapter 18, uh, verse 28, demonstrating by the Scriptures, the Old Testament, that Jesus is the Christ. That was Apollos' ministry. Fortunately, it ends there at the end of chapter 18, verse 28. I wish we had more detail about what Apollos preached about, being, about Jesus being the Christ, according to the Scriptures. As a gifted, trained, eloquent preacher, a close companion of the Apostle Paul, don't you wish we could have we could know what he would have preached from the scriptures about Jesus? I wonder if he would have explained Jesus being greater than the Old Testament angels like the author of Hebrews did in Hebrews chapter 1. I wonder if he would have used the same Old Testament quotes in teaching that Jesus was fully man like the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2. 
I wonder if he would have explained Jesus being greater than Moses in the same way as the author of Hebrews did in Hebrews chapter 3, or how in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews explains how Jesus was greater than the Sabbath, or Hebrews 5 through 7 that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, how Jesus is our perfect, complete high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Did you get my hint? I think I'm in the camp that Apollos wrote Hebrews. Now, my opinion that Apollos wrote Hebrews is not the point of this message. But I do want to highlight and go down a little rabbit trail because to me, when I have an understanding of who the author is of a letter or a book, it helps me have a better understanding of it. Pastor Clay, as we've been in his introduction to Hebrews, was absolutely correct. We don't know for sure who the author was of Hebrews. And the primary reason for the doubt is that the author doesn't identify himself in the letter of Hebrews. But let me ask you the question, who wrote Matthew? Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1st through 3rd John. We don't know because the author never identified themselves in those letters either. But through investigation and research, we can get an idea maybe of who wrote some of those things. And it helps us understand who the author is. Quickly, and uh, don't want to be too much of a distraction, here are four reasons why I think Apollos wrote Hebrews. Number one, it's not Paul. Paul doesn't seem to have been the writer of Hebrews because it's a different writing style. And Paul doesn't name himself like he does in his other letters. And Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 suggests it was a second generation believer, not one of the original apostles like Paul would have been. The other point here that it's not Paul, but the early church fathers had originally suggested that Hebrews was written by Paul. Well, if it wasn't Paul, then maybe it was somebody in the Pauline circle like Apollos. The second reason I think it is is the eloquence, the depth of the Old Testament knowledge. Like Apollos is described in Acts chapter 18, nobody in Scripture, uh, possibly other than Silas, who would have been in Paul's circle is described like Apollos with his depth of knowledge and his eloquence. The third reason is the author uses the Septuagint almost exclusively, which, like I mentioned, was the Greek translation from Alexandria, where Apollos was born. And then finally, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Again, one of those little passages at the ends of the books that many people just skip over. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23 and 24. But I urge you, brethren, this is the writer of Hebrews at the end, but I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. So when you put this all together, who else would have had such a close relationship with Timothy who was pastoring in Ephesus, where Apollos was originally and where he was trained by Priscilla and Aquila? And that reference about those from Italy, nobody but Priscilla and Aquila are described in the scriptures other than like that from Italy, Apollos' good friends. Now again, My opinion of Apollos writing Hebrews is not the main point, but it helps me understand who it is. If it wasn't Apollos, then it was someone probably very much like him. Eloquent, trained, 
full of knowledge of the scriptures to be able to teach. Praise God for preachers like that. So let's get back on track and we're going to wrap it up. The five points from looking at Apollos' ministry in the Bible. Number one, bold, articulate preachers can have confusion about Jesus being the Christ. Be on your guard. Number two, we need clarity about Jesus being the Christ. He is the Christ, the Son of God, Lord and majesty of all earth. And we need clarity from those who know the truth. Put yourself around those who love Jesus and want to talk about Jesus being the Christ. Number three, we need to be courageous to preach that Jesus is the Christ as he is taught in Scripture. Number four, we need each other. We need the community of believers, each other here in this church who believe that Jesus is the Christ. We are not a social club. We are unified around Jesus is the Christ. And our focus, like Apollos, should absolutely be about preaching Jesus is the Christ. Join me in uh, prayer and let's close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've been able to look in your word. That you inspired the author of Acts to write the verses that we looked in Hebrews, the verses that uh, we saw in Corinthians, that you inspired to be written for our benefit, for our encouragement, for us to follow. Thank you for using men like Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, uh, Apollos, so many others in advancing your kingdom. May we be used by you as well, wherever you have called us to minister. Thank you again for this time to be in your word, and we praise and worship you, Jesus the Christ. Amen.